0: Welcome back to TanachStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study one section of Chumash in each podcast, completing the week's parashah over the course of six podcasts. My name is Yitzhak Yet Shalom, and I'm delighted to be studying Sefer Shmot with you, the second half of Sefer Shmot, and we are now in Parashat Yitro. Over the course of our first two podcasts, we studied Perek Yodchet, chapter 18 of Shmot, which told the story of Yitro's arrival at Midbar Sinai bringing Tziporah and Moshe's sons back to Moshe and Yitro's advice regarding the judiciary and how that advice was implemented we also briefly at the end of the previous podcast took a look at the way that the story of the judiciary was told by Moshe 39 years later in Sefer Dvarim at his farewell address uh, and now we turn to Perek Yod Tet uh, Perek Yod Tet as we did with Perek Yod Chet, um, is a uh, is a single literary unit. It's really part of a larger unit. Um, however, Perik Tet, uh also stands somewhat by itself and can be easily divided into two sections, which is exactly what we've done. We're going to study the first fifteen of Parakiotet, and then complete Parakiotet in the next podcast. And at that point, also look at the broader structure. Of the Perak. The reason that it is part of a larger literary unit, uh, works really on several telescoping levels. Uh, first of all, Perak Yod Tet through Perak Chaf Dalid, the end of Parshat Mishpatim, uh, are various angles on the story of Matan Torah. If we were to expand that net a bit broader, and perhaps we should, the, um, Perak Chav and Chavav of Vayikra, uh, would also be included, and sections of Sefer Devarim, uh, from Perak Dalad, Perak He, and perhaps as far as Perak Yod, uh, all the way through, would be included in giving us the full perspective uh, from all of the different angles on the way that the story of Matan Torah, of the revelation at Sinai, is told in the Torah. Uh, however, for purposes of the narrative of Sefer Shmot, it really extends from Perak Yod Tet through Perak Dalad. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous two podcasts, there is a famous dispute among the early commentators uh, between pretty much the Ramban and everybody else about whether or not the events here follow the chronological sequence are true to chronological sequence. In other words, did Yitro arrive at Mibar Sinai before Matan Torah or afterwards? And the arguments are very strong that he came afterwards because of the mention of Moshe's teaching the laws. Uh, to the people in the context of Yitro's advice. Um, <clears throat> and as such, the events that are told of in Perak Haftalad are seen in uh, most Midrashic uh, takes as having occurred subsequent, uh, uh, prior to or concurrently with the events that we're reading about in Perak Yotet and Chaf, And that Haftalad through Haft Gimel actually happened later. <coughs> so it is one large tapestry of events occurring around the event of Matan Torah. But Perak Yod Tet does also stand alone in that it is clearly the preparation for the revelation and the entire chapter as we will deal with it, uh, all uh, 25 Tsukim, um, will present us with the preparations from the arrival at Midbar Sinai all the way up until the moment of revelation, a very, very exciting moment uh and uh, and again we will look at it in two, in two phases. Vachor shashlishi that says ben israel me eretz mitraim bayom hazeh ba'u mitbar sinai pasukav. So in the third month to the leaving let's say ben for the leaving of ben israel from mitraim that is the third month since we know that we left in the month of aviv in the month of nisan as we refer to it um uh, and that therefore becomes the first month, as we read back in Perak Yod Bet. This becomes the first month. Therefore, we are now in the third month since having left, which means it is somewhere between six and ten weeks since we've left, since we left on the 15th of the first month. On that very day, we came to Midbar Sinai. Now, is a little bit of a, an, an odd phrase, Because the time frame mentioned in the first half of the Pasuk is a month. Uh, and so we would expect to say Bachorish Hazeh, on that month they arrived. Bayom Hazeh would, uh, would imply that there was some specific day mentioned in the earlier part of the Pasuk, and there was not. Which is why the Mechildas approach to this, and picked up by, uh, by the Gemara, and the famous Sugya in Shabbat, and by many of the Rishonim, most of the Rishonim, is that they arrived on Rosh Chodesh, as reference to Rosh Chodesh. So it's the Rosh Chodesh of the third month, the month that we now call Sivan. Vayis'u Merfidim. Now this is backtracking a little bit, both literally and, and, uh, and geographically. Vayis'u Merfidim, they traveled from Rifidim via Bar Sinai. So part of the question I have to take a look at is why the text is backtracking uh, to Rifidim um, when it had already in Pasuk Aleph had us at Midbar Sinai we'll take a look at that when we complete the Pasuk so they came to Midbar Sinai and they camped in the Midbar and Am Yisrael set up camp there doesn't seem to be a particular division or system to the camp but they set up camp facing the mountain so here's the mountain here's the desert they all come and they camp facing the mountain <coughs> And this is the mountain. Remember that Moshe himself had had the great revelation of the Sneh, and Hashem had promised him, that, You will come back and worship God at this mountain. So this seems to be the place that they're going to come and do this worship. Um, and again, in the first pasuk, we already have B'nai Israel arriving at Mibar Sinai. And the second pasuk takes us backwards to Rifidim. Now, by Yisumir Fidim... On a simple level, it seem, seems to say that the very last place that they had camped or they had been before coming to Mimbar Sinai was Rifidim. But the truth is, Vayisumi Mitzrayim or Vayisumi Etam or Vayasumi Sukkot would all be accurate statements because they left from those places and arrived at Mimbar Sinai. The mention of Rifidim seems to connect us with, yet, with another event. And the only major event that we know of that takes place in Rifidim is, of course, the event at the very end of Parshat Pashalach, and that is the war with Amalek. And whether or not the text is, is converging these two to indicate that Am Yisrael's readiness uh, to be at the place where they're going to accept the Torah was catalyzed by the event of their war against Amalek or something else um, is it's unclear. But taking that first approach... It would seem that the uh that the state of the people here, which is very different than what we heard of over the several events in Pashad Pashalach with the complaining and the wanting to go back to Egypt and the divisiveness among the people, um, and in this chapter we hear unity and we hear unity of purpose and we hear a positive attitude. Perhaps it was occasioned by their events in Rafidim, and seeing that they were uh both dependent on God, but also were in, um, enabled and empowered to take part of that in their hands by uh, participating in the war against the Amalek, and the result of that war being not neither defeat nor victory, but really kind of a draw, perhaps is what drove them to say we, we really need to join forces to come together, to really work together, and that leads us to the famous Midrash, Vayichan Sham Yisrael Negadahar. That as opposed to the first part of the Pasuk that deals with Am Yisrael in the plural, Vayisu, Vayavou, Vayachanu, here it's Vayichan Sham Yisrael Negadahar, they encamped in the, and the uh, verb used is Vayichan in the singular, he encamped, which is the very famous Jidash, Kiishachad, Balevachad, that at this particular point they encamped really with this unity of purpose and with one heart together. Um, These two Pasukim provide us with what we call the Matzad, the exposition, which, pres- which gives us time and place and people. I'm Yisrael, facing the mountain, third month that day, and now we're going to hear about an ongoing dialogue between Moshe and God uh, over the course of the next 13 sukkim. It will continue uh, through most of the perek. Uh But notice, Moshe Allah, La'elaha Elohim, Moshe went up to God. Now, why did Moshe know to go up to God? Well, remember, Moshe had been at this mountain months or a year earlier at the Sneh, and Hashem had told him, you're going to come here and worship. So, when they arrive at the mountain, Moshe goes back up to, to Elohim. Indeed, it is possible, as I suggested in a different context, that uh, Moshe's um, first time at Har Elohim may not have been the stem; may have been much earlier and he may have indeed been a regular visitor there, which is why he went, as this Sforna suggests uh, in uh, in Paragimel Pasuk Aleph, um, and uh, that it's already called Har HaElohim. In any case, Moshe Allah Elohim, Moshe goes up to Hashem, and the people remain encamp- encamped at the foot, facing the mountain, and Lav Adonai Minahar and God calls him from the mountain, and what does he say? So here we'll, we'll now hear God's speech. But the question is, what happened first? Did Hashem summon him and then he went up? Or did he go up and then Hashem summoned him? The order of the Pasuk seems to be backwards. We would, would expect first that Hashem summons him, and then Allah, But Allah perhaps is indicating something that we've already gotten from the mention of Rafidim that it is the human initiative and the human participation that is going to be the necessary condition for Matan Torah, so both participating in the word Rifidim and now Moshe, going up on his own, may be what summons this kriya, this call of God to him. And what does Hashem say? Kotomar Yakov Israel. Kotomar Yakov. This is what you're going to say to Beit Yaakov, and you're going to communicate to B'nai Yisrael. Famously, Beit Yaakov B'nai Yisrael seen as the, the females and the males, the different reasons, as Rashi quotes the Midrash there. But um, in the, the simple read of this, is it's a poetic phrase, and Yaakov and Yisrael are synonyms, and Beit Yaakov and B'nai Yisrael, two different names for the Jewish people, Uh important point here is that Moshe is not told to address different tribes. And we assume, certainly based on what we see at the beginning of Sefer of Bamidbar, that Am Yisrael sees itself uh, primarily through tribal identification, not national identification. And that's something that's supported throughout Bamidbar and certainly uh, Sefer's volume as well. Uh, Nonetheless, here again, the notion is one of unity. You're going to speak to them as one single nation, Beit Yaakov and B'nai Yisrael. And this is what you're going to say to them. So this is now a message that Moshe is to give the people. Most of the messages up until now were messages that Hashem gave to Moshe to give to Paro. Once he got to the Midbar, Hashem gave messages to Moshe. Some of them were direct messages to words to give to the people. Uh, but some of them were signs that he was going to do for the people, uh, such as putting the stick into the uh, water at Mara or hitting the stick, hitting the rock um, at Chorev. But now we have an actual message. What's the message? Atemri item, asher asiti the Mitzrayim. You yourselves saw what I, I, Hashem, did to Mitzrayim. al nisharim, va'avi atchem elayim. Poetically, a beautiful image, Hashem says, I carry you, on wings of eagles, and I brought you to me. So let's, first of all, see just on a simple shot level what this means, and then what it may be alluding to. Hatemri Tem to the Mitzrayim is an important message because what Bnei Israel actually saw in Mitzrayim consistently was Moshe and Aharon, or sometimes just Moshe, sometimes just Aharon, being the active player in the Makot and in Yam Yamsuf, and... Here the message to the Israel is everything that you saw. What you saw was my doing. I shall And the second piece of the puzzle is that the second piece of this message is Va'asayet Chemal I carried you on wings of eagles. Now what's this message of wings of eagles? could be indicating that your coming here was miraculous. In other words, it's as if you were lifted off the ground by by uh, birds and, and brought to me. Um, Part of it (coughs) may be also alluding, as uh, as, uh, Midrash indicates, that that just like an eagle puts its young on its back to protect it from underflying uh, predators and under it to protect from overflying predators, an eagle doesn't have overflying predators, in the same way I carried you through the desert and I kept you protected the whole time. And the purpose of that was not to take care of you alone and the purpose of that was not to get you out the purpose of that was vaviyat chemilai so vaviyat chemilai is not just a conjunction i did this and i did that but rather i did this in order to do that the entire purpose of it was to bring you here and this is something that's echoed in many um, statements of chazal that indicate that the arrival at har sinai was a crossroads for am yisrael and a crossroads for all of humanity and if am yisrael responded properly to the invitation to join the Brit, that everything would continue as planned, and if not, all of creation would be subverted. So I brought you to me. Pasuke goes comes back to a word that we saw in the previous parak. Ve'ata. And remember, the Ve'ata, always used in a dialogue, indicates an effect. Here's the cause. The cause is, I did all this for you. In order to bring you here, Ve'ata, and now, Im shamua tishmoo a refrain that we will hear numerous times in Sefer Dvarim, if indeed you heed my voice, ushmartem et briti, and keep my breit, vitemlis gula kili Now the second half of this pasuk is a little unclear as to its relationship to the first half. But simple translation: If you heed my voice and you keep my covenant, and you will be a treasure to me from all the nations, because all the land belongs to me. Now, what is this line vitemlis gula Is that the effect? Meaning, if you keep my brit, then you'll be my treasure because the whole world belongs to me and I get to decide who my treasure is and they'll be you if you keep my brit. Or is it part of the condition? If you heed my voice, keep my covenant, be a treasure to me because you should, because the whole world belongs to me. And then it would continue in the next pasuk with more of the conditions of what Am Yisrael is supposed to do Reads very, very differently than if we read it as Ushmartemet Briti being the end of the condition and everything from there being the reward. If you indeed do this, you will be my treasure from among all the people. The whole world belongs to me. And let's continue. You will be a mamlachet Kohanim, a kingdom of Kohanim, and a Goikadosh. Goy kadosh, a holy nation. We'll talk about these two terms because they are central uh, in a moment. And that concludes this first speech of Hashem to Moshe, commanding him to bring these words to Bnei Yisrael. So before we follow Moshe down the mountain and Pasuk Zion and hear his presentation of Bnei Yisrael and their response, let's take a look again at these last, um, last two psukim. In Pasuk Hei, um, the first two terms are very clear. If you heed me and you keep my breed the question is, what do those terms refer to? does that mean that I've already commanded you things, and if you heed them? and you keep my breed what breed would that be? So Brit Mila certainly comes to mind right away. Perhaps there's a Brit that exists regarding the Korban Pesach, and after all, somebody who is in Arel can't participate in the Korban Pesach. So that may be an expansion of sorts of the Brit. Are there other commandments that they were given subsequent to leaving before coming to our Sinai? Perhaps, as Chazal say in Mara, um, uh, that are, are being alluded to? Or is this a statement about the future? Saying, I'm ready to give you a covenant, but you have to first agree to keep it. And if you do that, then you will be a treasure to me from among the world. And then Pasuk Vav, in that read. Becomes part of the reward, part of the part of the consequences. If indeed you keep that, then you will be a mamlachet kohanim and a goy kadosh. The other way to read it, though, is that all of this is part of the condition, which is if you listen to my voice and you keep my covenant, uh, and you and you agree to be a treasure to me from the rest of the world. And you agree to be my Malachat Kohanim Goy Kadosh. These are all the terms of the Brit. And then the notion would be you've seen everything that I've done for you. Let me try, and this is how you should respond. You should accept this. But he's giving it to them as an open possibility so that they could say yes or no. With, of course, a very, very strong slant here towards yes. Two very different ways to read this whole introduction. We'll see that in the end it won't matter because of B'nai Israel's very enthusiastic response. But nonetheless, Let's take a look at these terms, Mamlachet Koanim, the Kadosh. And again, reading them either as a command or as a reward. What is a Mamlachet Koanim? So, the first piece of the puzzle here is that that the type of people that Hashem is making a covenant with and is inviting him to join, is inviting to join him in a covenant, is first going to be a Mamlacha, which means a kingdom, which means the first reality is. A, po- a polity, a political reality. And second of all, what kind of a political reality? A mamlacha of kohanim, which itself seems to be something of an oxymoron, a kingdom of priests. Well, kings aren't priests and priests aren't kings. But the notion seems to be that you are going to be a, a political a state, however, a state that's made up of people who serve as kohanim. What are kohanim? Kohanim, from the larger perspective, not just the tribal perspective, Seem to be those people who officiate and represent God to the people, leading us to the famous discussion in Masachet Kiddushin and Nedarim. Kohanim, are Koanim Shluchei Didan or Shluchei Rachmona—they are agents or God's agents—but they seem to represent God to the people, as we see in Yeshayahu. atem You will be considered the Kohanim of Hashem. Now, important to note that Malachet Kohanim is a phrase that's never repeated in Chumash. Goy Kadosh is repeated. S'gula is, is repeated. But Malachat Kohanim is never repeated in Chumash. And it seems to be that the way that the people responded to this invitation, which echoes the way that Moshe responded to the invitation way back at the same location, but way back at the beginning of the entire story of Yitzhak Mitzvahim, at the Sneh, may have taken Malachat Kohanim off the table. And we'll see that later on when the people's, uh, when the people respond, but we're going to see that in the last podcast of this series, and then we'll go back and revisit it. In any case, So in sum, this first speech is Hashem telling Moshe to invite B'nai Yisrael to join the Brit, but fronting it by saying, you've seen everything that I've done for you, and I've brought you here and protected you, etc. And these are the, uh, the conditions of the Brit, and this is perhaps the reward of fulfillment of the Brit, these are, this is the message you're supposed to give to Bnei Israel. So we have all gathered here and there's this opportunity to join the breed. Alright, that's part one. So Moshe comes down and he summons the Zinayam which, if you think about it, takes us back to the first time Moshe was at the Sneh. What did Hashem say to Moshe in the middle of that dispute between them? That dialogue in the stand Paragimel, Lech ziknei Israel. Go gather ziknei Yisrael. And when Moshe and Aaron finally come to Mitzrayim at the very beginning of, at, of, at the end of Parak Dalad, Moshe and Aaron assembles ziknei Israel to tell them that Hashem is going to redeem them and show them the otot. And now, he gathers the elders of the people. And he placed before them all of these words that Hashem had commanded him. Meaning these are not mitzvot. But the words that Hashem had commanded him to say. So he brought the offer to them. And now we find something a little odd in the Pasuk. seems to be a skip. Because in Pasuk Chet, So before we get to what they said, the entire people answered together. But Moshe didn't speak to the people. He spoke to the Zekinin. So there are two ways to read this. And one is now not more compelling than the other. One is that the Zekinim were commissioned by the people, your representatives, and whatever Moshe comes down and asks, uh, whatever message he gives, answer in the affirmative. So their response is on behalf of the people. The other one is that perhaps there's a a dialogue going on or a communication piece that's left out, which is the Zekinim subsequently go to their people, and perhaps their alafim and meot if the Yitro story happened earlier, and presented, and the people's response is in the affirmative, which is, everything that Hashem says, we're going to do. Now, on the broader level, this statement is seen, and in light of the echo of this, in Parakat Dalet, first, and then, the more famous phrase, we read this as being a commitment to the entire breed sight unseen. But at this point, what's actually being said is they're saying all of the things that Hashem has said, which means that we will indeed agree to heed the breed, And we will indeed agree to listen to his voice and we'll agree to be his treasure, perhaps, if that's part of the condition. That's what they're accepting. <clears throat> and now what happens? Vayashiv Moshe Tiveryam amel And now Moshe... brings these words back the words of the people back to Hashem so Moshe is playing absolutely as the intermediary, Hashem spoke to him Moshe then went down, presented the words to the people, the people then spoke to Moshe but notice what's missing in this pasuk it says that Moshe returns the words or brings the words of the people back to Hashem, but it doesn't say that Moshe goes up the mountain and we will see later on that at some point here, Moshe did go up the mountain, we'll see that but it's not mentioned and it's it's elated perhaps because of this next pasuk, in pasuk tet, <coughs> which by the way the Gemara tells us that in Eretz Israel, they actually read this as three different pasukim, three separate pasukim, three short pasukim. Uh, we in our Masoretic text, it's one pasuk. Vayomer Adonai Moshe, Hinei Anochi Ba'elecha, Beravhe Anan, Ba'avu Yisroel Am B'Daberimach V'Gam B'Chayim Inu De'olam V'Ein Moshe Al Adonai. So Hashem says to Moshe, behold, I'm going to come to you with a thick cloud. In other words, Hashem is going to approach Moshe, but they'll have a thick cloud around them when he speaks to them. Why? So the question could be, why the thick cloud at all? Or the question could be, why not have Moshe come up to the top of the mountain and there's no need for a cloud? In other words, what's the alternative that Hashem is explaining? So he seems to be explaining why he's not going to have Moshe ultimately come to the top of the mountain in order to speak with him, and that is ba'avu yishma dabrimach, so that they will hear when I speak to you. And the image is a gorgeous image. It's that Hashem is inviting Moshe to come up to the top, to come up partway to the mountain, or even be at the foot of the mountain. Hashem will cover them both with a cloud, so there'll be some intimacy, but he'll be close enough so when Hashem speaks to him, the people will actually hear Hashem's words. So they're going to share Hashem's words, but they won't be privy to the intimate meeting between Moshe and Hashem. And what's the purpose of that? So they'll hear when I speak to you, and the result is, and then they will have which is not the way that that word is used contemporarily, but in Tanakh means trust. They will have trust in you forever. In other words, they will know that when you're representing my word, it really is my word, because they will hear me talking to you. And that's the word. And now, Moshe comes back and, and, uh, and um, turns and tells Hashem the words of the people, which is that they're agreeing. So the next command is, okay, go to the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow. So reading it, a simple text here would be today is Rosh Chodesh and tomorrow is the second, but more days have passed in between because Moshe has gone up and gone down and there's been back and forth with the people and that's what the famous Machloket, whether all of these events end up taking till the 6th or the 7th of Sivan, Chachamim or Rabbi Yossi, um, in the famous sugya in, uh, in Masachat Shabbat. Um sanctify them today and tomorrow. We don't yet know why. l'otam, they take their garments and wash them. Um, this, we understand, to be a ritual washing. And the reason is to be able to enter with tahara. And there's an interesting connect, allusion here, or a connection, to the events in Egypt. Remember that one of the major thrusts of the uh, pre-Exodus moment was the taking of the gold and silver, but also the garments from the Egyptians, borrowing or asking, requesting, however we read Yishalu. And although we might separate that from the larger picture of the Exodus as being payment for back wages, as the famous story in Masah says, uh says, the, the contextual explanation for it seems to be that we're going out for a festival to our God in the desert, the three-day festival, and we need to have nice things to wear. And so now they're wearing the things that they're going to have for this festival, and they need to purify them. So it seems to connect us back to that event. We will get here about the role of the gold in uh, in this event, but that, of course, will be tragic. They should be prepared for the third day. So today and tomorrow they're sanctified. The third day is prepared. Why? On the third day, Hashem is going to come in front of all the people on Har Sinai. Now remember what Hashem said? I'm going to speak to you with a cloud around us. So that seems to be what the cloud is. And now what are you to do, Moshe? Hashem is still speaking to Moshe. You make a boundary. Make a boundary, a gavul, for the people around, telling them the following. Don't just make a boundary, but tell them. He shamru lachem, be very careful, alot bahar and go not to go up the mountain, and not to even touch the edge of the mountain. bahar if anybody even touches the mountain, they will be killed. Now does that mean they will be killed like lightning is going to strike them? Not so clear. Because from the next pasuk, lotigah bo yad, don't even touch it with a hand. You will be stoned or thrown down from a high place. This is where Chazal, by the way, understand what Sekilah is as being being thrown from a um, precipice. Which means Hashem here is immediately giving a death penalty and has to be executed. Sorry for the pun. If somebody indeed touches the mountain, whether it be an animal or person, they'll be killed. Now, what's yovel? The word yovel that we associate with uh, a calendar event of every 50 years actually means a ram. And bimshokha yovel means the pulling of the ram, means the pulling of the horn of the ram, the sounding of the ram's horn. When they hear that, then Yalu Bahar. So the sounding of the keran of the Yovel is an indication that they may or perhaps should ascend the mountain but till then they're not allowed to come up to the mountain this is holy territory you are going to put a gvul around it because I'm going to come down and remember we never heard of Moshe actually going back up the mountain to get the rest of the commands but now in Pasuk Yodal we find out that he did because it says Moshe Moshe goes down from the mountain to the people he sanctifies the people they wash their garments he says, Be prepared for three days, do not approach a woman, which means sexual abstinence for three days. To prepare yourself for that great day, we're going to actually stop at this point, only because the rest of the parak is all going to take place on that third day, the day of the revelation, and all the preparations for revelation that we're going to hear about will be in that section. And we've seen over the course of these 15 sukim, the first six sukim are uh, both the exposition and the preparation, the first command given to Moshe. And then subsequently, we have a back and forth. In, uh, in Pasuk Chet, we have the, pe- the people's response. Moshe then, in Pasuk Chet, brings that back to Hashem. Hashem then tells Moshe that he's going to come in the cloud. And again, Moshe gives that response to Hashem. A little bit strange, it happens twice. And then Hashem tells Moshe about sanctifying the people, setting up the boundary around them, Moshe goes down now to do so, which means Moshe has gone up, it seems, twice or three times already, uh, not done, uh, to bring messages of the people to Hashem, and then Hashem's messages back to the people. The development of this piece, in a sense, echoes the events of the first time that Moshe was at Ar-Sinai, which is the story of the Snab. which, if we follow it through, begins with one particular plan, but evolves over the course of that dialogue into a very different plan seems to be what sort of what's happening here as each response of the people of being ready then is followed by yet another command in the next podcast we'll take a look at uh the uh, sukim uh, ted Vav, sorry ted zion uh through uh Hafei, those nine sukim that will bring us right up to that moment of revelation Everybody really should have a wonderful day